Coming up on golf today, we typically spend December counting the days down until Christmas, not this December. The 2021 countdown this holiday season is focused on Mr. Tiger Woods and his return to the golf course three days away, the number three par threes. Let's run you through some of his greatest par three moments. The segment will be better than most. Plus, it's time to wrap and unwrap the 2021 season. Which round do we wish we could re-get? Which round was so special it deserves a spot in every golf fan's stocking? We've got the tape, the scissors, the paper, and the highlights. And last night it was Steph Curry setting a historic number, which got us thinking golf is a game of numbers, 18, 72, 59, 1. They all tell a story. So which number was the most important in 2021 and which number matters most as we flip the calendar? We'll dissect all that next. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Welcome into Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Shane Bacon. We interrupt this golf program for a little update from the NBA. I sat my boys down in front of the TV last night to watch Steph Curry's handiwork at Madison Square Garden. I think everybody did. I was trying to get tickets, D. Oh. I was pushing people for some tickets last night. Didn't go to the game, but of course watched it. I mean, we are sports fans, D. We talk about golf on this show, but you and I love Football, basketball, baseball, the Olympic Games. I mean, everything, you know, we watch and we pay attention to. It was his reaction, D. It was my big takeaway. You saw the relief, really, yeah. in the face of Steph when that three went down. We've been talking about it for weeks. We knew it was coming. It was inevitable as well. But for Steph Curry to finally reach this milestone and to do it so quickly, it, I mean, just incredible to see. Yeah, very appropriate also that it happens in Madison Square Garden, Reggie Miller was there, Ray Allen was there, and I have to say, uh, looking at Steph Curry, it reminds me in some ways of Tiger because you can't guard Tiger Woods' height of power. You can't guard Steph Curry. It, you're supposed to be able to stick to somebody man-to-man. -man. Steph Curry plays basketball in a way that is unguardable. That step-back jump shot, you just have to hope he misses because you're not going to block his shot. Everybody thinks of Steph Curry as a shooter, much like we think of Jordan Spieth as a putter. And Steph Curry is much more mm. than a shooter. He's a scorer, and he's able to use his body in certain ways and use his athleticism to get free. We think he just stands on the three-point line all the time and makes threes, and that's why he's important, and that's why – He's a two-time MVP. Jordan Spieth isn't just a putter. Mm. Jordan Spieth is a great iron player, and he's able to get the ball around golf courses. I look at those two players, and I find similarities in Steph Curry and Jordan Spieth as much as really any athletic comp. But I do ask you, as we're looking at Steph Curry and we're praising what he's able to do, is this an untouchable number? Is Steph Curry in three-pointers with the way the NBA is going? Is this Cal Ripken? Is this the Tiger cut streak? Is somebody going to reach this number in a decade? I don't think they are. And, and I'm not one to say that, you know, forever is a long time. To say something is never going to happen. But you look at Steph Curry at the age of 33. I think the only thing that would stop him would be injury or if he loves golf so much that he just wants to say, <laughs> you know what, I'm done winning MVPs and championships and setting records. But I think he could put this record of three-point shots into the stratosphere. He's been averaging five threes per game the last three seasons when he's been healthy, when he's yep. played full season. So let's say – Five threes, threes a game, 82 games a season. We're talking 400 threes a season for Steph Curry if he's healthy, yeah. as you said. I'm looking at 5,000 threes. I've seen 4,000, 4,500 thrown around. He's basically at 3,000 threes right now. But, I mean, I think he's going to be past 5,000 threes. Again, if he can stay healthy, yeah. shooting, 
Once oh. he gets past this great athleticism portion of his career, and he is in that Ray Allen in Miami yeah. level of player, if he wants to be that guy, he'll be able to stand in the corner and shoot threes and make them a lot for a team that needs that asset. So for Steph Curry, he's not going away any, anytime soon. So cool to see. So fun to celebrate, yeah. D, to watch him go about his business. It's a true privilege. And we like Steph Curry so much that throughout this show, we're going to look at some of Steph's numbers and kind of relate them to the game of golf as well. And speaking of golf, yes, just three days away from Tiger Woods teeing it up with his son Charlie at the PNC Championship in Orlando. The duo will play in the Friday Pro-Am at 9 a.m. Eastern. We'll have complete coverage of the Pro-Am on golf today. You can watch Tiger in action Saturday also at 1.30 on golf, 2.30 on NBC. Can't wait to see father and son. For more on the PNC, let's bring in our good buddy, Noda Begay III. Noda, always great to spend some time with you. From your perspective, what is Tiger's excitement level for this coming weekend? Well, I think you guys hit the nail on the head in terms of he's he's excited to become a dad and, and be a dad out there. And uh, we're all so proud of our kids when uh, they compete and they have a chance to showcase their abilities. And I, I think um, if it were any other event, uh, certainly we wouldn't see Tiger uh, going through what he's going through to um, put himself out there because, you know, the, the world's going to be watching every single thing that Tiger does uh, simply because that's the uh, attention that he attracts. But um, I think it's he, he's going to really, really enjoy being out there with Charlie. Noda, you've seen this guy for 30-plus years go about his business on the golf course. What's your excitement level? Where are you sitting as a golf fan, not <laughs> – as a golfer, not as an analyst, not as a broadcaster, but just simply as a fan of his, as a friend of his, what's your excitement level? Well, I'm, I'm very happy to see my friend have a chance to, to number one, get back out there and do the, the thing that he loves. And the only thing that can make that better is to do it with one of your children uh, in, a, in a competitive setting. You're talking about one of the most competitive athletes, you know, to ever play sports and you know for him to go out there and just, you know, be in that be in that environment again, I think is just going to be a wonderful experience for tiger and um you know you said something earlier just about pumping the brakes around expectations i think that everybody needs to do that i think that we need to give uh you know tiger's son a little room and not suffocate the poor young man and just let him be a kid and not be so focused on um you know the 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 performance or the score or whatnot but just kind of uh enjoy seeing these guys in a very free flow flow flowing setting and um, just out there, you know, trying to, to post a score and work together and, and all those little idiosyncrasies we see about their their mannerisms is just so fun. And it's very consistent with all the the fathers uh, with their kids. Uh, they all sort of have these things that, that link them. And, and you're right, Damon, um, the, the gene pool is, is very strong in, <laughs> in this family. Well, Noda, you've seen Tiger at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I'm just curious, you know, in your quiet moments, are you ever, like, shaking your head, like, calling the misses and say, like, I don't even know how this guy is even doing this. I mean, he's back playing golf in front of television cameras this weekend. Well, one of the things that, that I appreciate the most about the past that Tiger and I have walked alongside each other is I, I had a chance to be a teammate of his in the 2000 President's Cup um, we played four consecutive matches together after he had just won three consecutive majors. And so I got a, a front row seat to uh, the player who was at the top of his game, at the top of his sport, 
playing the best golf that anyone had ever seen in the history of the sport. And so, you know, going from that point to through the challenges that he's had from a physical standpoint and winning the 2008 U.S. Open and uh, again uh, at Augusta, well, winning his fifth Masters, I think, um, just I, I just don't put any expectation on the guy. <laughs> he just continues to outperform and outpace. And I think that is one of the most remarkable things that all of us, uh, whether you're a fan, whether you're in the media or just a casual sports fan that gets pulled in the golf because of Tiger, is, you know, this expectation has been placed on him since a very young age. And very few times in sports do athletes surpass the expectation that's placed on them. We've seen prodigies come along. We've seen players come along in all sports where we think, wow, this is going to be the next great player. And they end up disappointing us. But Tiger has gone on to surpass so much uh, of the expectation that was placed on him from a very young age. And I think that's absolutely remarkable. Noda, we know so much about Tiger Woods, the golfer we see on television. What's Tiger Woods like when you're playing casual golf with him? Is he as serious? Is he as intense as he is at a U.S. Open and as a Masters? Is he always trying to beat you and trash-talking you throughout the round? Well, I think the trash-talking goes up a level. Okay. <laughs> um, the casual part of it is also elevated in between shots but when you see him lock into what he's trying to do over a particular shot um, he's just as focused on that uh, as he is in in some of uh, his tournament golf but you know those casual rounds of golf I remember during his time at that at Alworth in Orlando um, I, I've seen some of the best shots that I've ever seen in golf uh, during casual rounds uh, playing with Tiger that I'm looking at what he had just done I'm like there's only one human in the world that was capable of 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 executing the the technical part of the swing the physical part of the swing with the power and the accuracy that he just demonstrated um in that particular shot and to tell you just how competitive he is uh we had a couple great matches where it looked like i had the upper hand uh he hit his ball in a in a, in a lake uh it was just slightly submerged the guy took his socks off and shoes off went into the lake to the dirty muddy water and splashed it out to about 15 feet and then made the putt for par to tie the hole so um that competitiveness never goes away with him regardless whether it's a tournament or a casual match oh, that's a great story Noah. well the love of a family member is very strong we're seeing tiger be kind of pushed by by his son's love of golf i'm curious in your mind if this relationship between tiger and charlie can propel Tiger to winning on the PGA Tour again, if that's even in the conversation at this point? Well, I think one thing that it can do is get get Tiger to the course a little bit more regularly. Um, you know, I, I'll sometimes be on the couch, and with my own son, he wants to go hit balls or go play nine holes. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Let's uh, throw the clubs in the, in the car, and let's get over to the course. And so I think that might... Um, you know, have a little bit of an influence just on sort of the regularity that Tiger wants to sort of go out and, and play and be with his son and, and do a thing that uh, that connects them. I mean, it, it's such a big part of Tiger's life and it's becoming a bigger part of Charlie's life. And, uh, you know, the COVID break is what Tiger mentioned to me last year is what really gave gave Charlie and Tiger that chance to work on Charlie's game. And that's when he really started to sort of see some dramatic improvements in his, in his performance and his, and his kind of connection with golf was, um, you know, during the, the COVID 
uh, period when so many more people across the country were playing golf and it wasn't any different for the Woods family. They were spending a lot of time on the golf course and, um, and that's when we saw that great performance last year uh, from Charlie in, in the PNC. And all roads lead to Orlando, Florida once again. Can't wait for Friday. No, I always appreciate your time and your insights into Tiger Woods. We appreciate it, buddy, and we will speak to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Nota Begay the third coming up. It was an historic night at the Guard, and Steph Curry broke Ray Allen's three-point record. An incredible milestone in the NBA. It had happened in the right building, in my opinion. That got us to think of some other great milestones in the game of golf. Our most important numbers of 2021 are next when Golf Today returns. We are back on golf today. Steph Curry put his name in the history books last night. 2,974 threes to break Ray Allen's record. And it got us thinking of some important numbers and milestones in and around the game of golf. D, you look at some of these numbers. Jin Young-Ko, 14. That ties the record for consecutive rounds in the 60s. 14 rounds in the 60s is pretty wild. Crazy. The Nicholson, age 50, the oldest golfer to win. Amazing that PGA championship. Didn't see that coming. I got to say, didn't see it coming. This could be a trend right here. This 10 number, you see their U.S. wins the Ryder Cup, largest mm. margin of victory since 1979. And I just had this feeling. We were talking about President's Cup yesterday, but this American team, yeah. it's 20 deep of players that could dominate these team events for the next decade. I wouldn't want to mess with them. I wouldn't want to mess with Patrick Cantlay. UCLA sets the record. For strokes gained putting in this era at the BMW Championship, taking down Bryson DeChambeau. So, what was the most important number in 2021? This is very easy. Oh. D, it's the number one. And no, that's not because I finally got my first hole-in-one in 2021. This is for Hideki. <laughs> that would have worked, too. Winning the Masters. Okay. Uh, first player from Japan to win the Masters. You think back to 2011. He was low amateur there. I mean, 11 Ooh. years from those Asia-Pacific amateur wins to being the winner and the champion at the Masters. We've talked about the impact that this will have in and around the game of golf. I just look at it as just another enormous global moment for this sport. And Hideki winning there, the way he won, the way he did it, the way he went about his business at Augusta National, at the Masters. We're talking about Phil Mickelson. We're talking about Hideki is really the two moments from the men's side yeah. of golf that we'll remember a decade from now. It's a watershed moment, and I think about how popular he was already before winning the green jacket, the media that followed him, how much of the kind of temperature he would raise in terms of Japanese golf and where he sits in the pantheon of other great athletes. He was already at or near the top. He had as many people around him as Tiger Woods has around him uh, during PGA Tour events. So now where does it go? Now that you put the jacket on, and now you have all these kids saying, wait a second, I can do that as well. I want to go hit golf balls and dream about winning majors in the Masters as well. I love that he got himself in the hunt at the PGA Championship for a couple of rounds yeah, as well. Yeah, we're like, uh-oh. The Masters win. We hadn't really seen much yeah. of the Deku, if you remember, following the win. And after the airport picture that was floating around with the green jacket laid cool. over the seat. Kind of after that, we didn't see a lot of Hideki in the golf world. Yeah. And then for him to return in that next major championship and get in the hunt through two rounds was very, very special. What about you? Any number kind of stick out to you from 2020? I'm going with uh, 63. I didn't shoot 63 in 2021, <laughs> though. I did try. How about the most consecutive greens in regulation LPGA Tour? I'm talking Jin Young Ko. And you have to think about this player. Wait, you're going to hit the last 63 greens of the last event of the year, and it's an important event of the year after a long and exhausting season at the height of this burgeoning rivalry with Nelly Korda, and that's what you're bringing to the party? 
perfection? Stop missing greens? You're in that much control of the golf ball at the end of a long season that you hit 63 greens in a row. I think it's underrated, underappreciated. We talked about it a lot. We could probably talk about it a lot more. That streak could continue in 2022. It would be something if she missed her first green of 2022. I don't think that'll happen. I don't know if our buddies at points bet would, would even have a, a name of bet for that. But I just think that number, to me, just makes me shake my head knowing how long this season was, especially for the LPGA Tour players who are traveling to Hither and Yon. First things first, you said you didn't shoot 63 this year. Yeah. We both shot 63 in every round we played. Well, and, well fair and enough. Some. But, uh, yeah, Jin Young Ko, I mean, when you break in those numbers, it was after the ninth hole in the opening round. I mean, that's where those this run started. When you kind of think about that, when you think about three straight rounds and the second nine on Thursday, yeah. that being the consistency of hitting your irons, never putting it in a bad spot, never just hitting a bad eight iron or, yeah. or missing it in the wrong spots, just to have that type of of control mm. with the golf club and the golf swing and your mind, yeah. that is next-level superstar stuff. It was a long season, powerful season for Jin Yunko. How about looking ahead, 2022? Do you want to give it a shot, the most important number for next yeah, year? Yeah, my, my number is very, very easy. It's three, and that's three. me or the players looking to complete the career grand slam. Of course, we're going to get Rory McIlroy at Augusta mm. National trying to win the Masters again, and then you're going to get Jordan Spieth at the PGA, and then, of course, you're going to get back to Phil Mickelson at the U.S. Open. Can these three players do it? Can Rory finally win at Augusta? Could we see Jordan win at Southern Hills? Can Phil win at the U.S. Open? I, I messaged our buddies at PointsBet about the numbers for this. Yes. Rory, the favorite in this department, at plus 1,200 to win at the Masters. Spieth is plus 1,400 to win the PGA Championship. Phil's plus 8,000 to win the U.S. Open. I mean, those are long shots as well. Obviously, a lot of pressure comes with this, but that would make the year to oh, me. I mean, gosh. if somebody does this in 2021... That's the story that we're going to be talking about when we're sitting here in mid-December chatting about the year and chatting about the accomplishments. So that's the number I'm kind of looking at for next season. Which of those three do you like the best? Best chance to complete the career game? I, I, I think it's Jordan Spieth yeah. to me. I think Jordan yeah. Spieth at the golf course, what that golf course asks of these types of players, you've got to be such an incredible iron player. Look at some of the players that have won at Southern Hills over the years, and I yeah. think Jordan Spieth fits in that mold. You and I have talked a lot about Spieth, not just in 2021, but us looking at 2021 as a big stepping block for what we could see in 2021. I think Jordan Spieth's going to win a major next season. I obviously hope it's the PGA Championship, but those golf courses haven't always set up the greatest yeah. for Jordan Spieth. I think this is one that does set up well for him. I'm going to say Rory at the Masters. It's time. He's back to hitting the high well, he draw. He likes the golf course. He likes the golf course. I mean, he knows the he golf course. Fit, he should fit his eye a little bit. I'm going to say Rory. Yeah, I mean, I mean, do you, do you have a number you're kind of looking at? Looking ahead to 2021 and something you're focused you on. You know I beat on this drum a lot this year about the game being a little too easy at the highest level. We'll see a 57 on the PGA Tour not, in 2022. Not 59. Not 59. Not 58. Listen, we got 12 sub-60 rounds in the history of the PGA Tour. Of course, that Jim Furyk 58. 57, back in 2016 huh? at the Travelers. Some notable 59s. You see, I think these guys are so good and play so well that a 57 is possible. You know, maybe at the Sony. You know, we've seen 59s at the Sony. You can see it maybe at the Travelers. I can see someone get hot. You know, drive a couple of reachable par fours, a couple of eagle putts on par fives. Next thing you know, we're talking about 29s and 28s on a nine. You know, Phil Mickelson almost shoots 58, what, 12, 15 years ago at the Grand Slam of Golf. Yeah. I mean, these are numbers that we have seen in and around the game before. I, I agree with you on this. Okay. I, I think I think that I'll go this far. I think we'll have a putt for 57. Okay. If he I makes like it. it or not, we'll see. Yeah. But I think there'll be a putt 
for 57. I wonder where the numbers stop. We're talking about Steph Curry and the threes, and can somebody catch this number? And we're talking about untouchable stats in sports history, Tiger and Cal Ripken, and on goes the list. Could we see 56-55? You know, I mean, is this going to ever happen? Are we going to get to a point where players are so long off the tee and such great putters and so confident in their games where does it stop? Because 59 seemed like that's where it was going to stop. It did. I tell you what, I keep thinking about my buddies, uh, you know, Lynn Marriott and Pia Nilsson, Vision 54. I mean, that's the, the philosophy of believing you can birdie all 18 holes, whether you can or not. Obviously, we haven't had that yet. But I do think that the players of this generation especially, with the equipment available to them, with the talent that they have on both tours, I can see – you know, 14 birdies and a, and a couple of eagles. It's I mean, just it, just, it just doesn't sound as crazy as it might have 15, 20 years ago. We're seeing more and more players go very, very low. Jessica Cordes shooting 60 this past season. You know, Jim Furyk has a 58 and a 59. Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas. It just seems like it's possible. Yesterday I said we'll see another 59 on the LPGA, and I think next year we'll also see a 57 on the PGA you're, Tour. You're heavy on the 50s this week is what you're I'm, telling me. But, you know, I can be tough on the players sometimes. I'm, I'm tipping my cap to the players right now. I think they are that good. It's the mind, too, and mm. I love that you brought up Vision 54. It really is the mindset. It's about yeah. going in there believing that every hole is its own tournament, its yeah. own experience, its own entity, right? Right? I mean, yeah. it's not looking at a golf tournament or a golf round as a whole 18. Mm. I mean, you and I do that. We yeah. think about golf rounds when you get nervous when you're at a place you haven't been in a while or maybe never been before, and you're thinking about that finish line. And what I always find so impressive about professional athletes, and in this case professional golfers, is the finish line is never on their mind. Mm. They're never really mm. thinking about the end. They're always thinking about the shot that they're facing and what matters here. What do I need to do to execute what I'm looking at here? And then yeah. whatever happens after that, We'll go find the ball and hit it from there. But they're always in the moment. Mm. And that's what's so, so incredible about it. That's why they can make a triple bogey and just bounce right back and not worry about mm. it. Well, no 57, 58, 59 for us right now because winter is here. But that doesn't mean golf courses aren't being utilized. So find out how municipal courses picture? in Toronto <laughs> are using their snow-covered courses. I tell you what, can you shoot 57 out there? <laughs> no, that's so nice. I need that ski picture back. That thing's <laughs> awesome. <laughs>some ideas started to get thrown around. Craig Locke rejoins us now. And Craig, this is such a cool idea, what you guys are doing. Can you talk about how the idea came about? How you guys decided to turn the golf course into some other ideas? Yeah, we, uh, it started off with a partnership with the USGA and the City of Toronto Golf Courses. And, um, you know, we used their Deacon uh, service to put GPS devices on golfers and track them around the golf course in the summer when they uh, were playing golf. 
And we had later in the summer, as we we're setting up that tool with the city of Toronto and the pandemic was really coming, um, you know, into the fold, uh, the city of Toronto was asked by uh, their council to, you know, have more outdoor activities, more opportunity. And that also involved their municipal golf courses. And so we had all this data where the golfers were going. And so we could create these snow loops and these uh, cross country ski trails without impacting the golf turf. And so as your viewers are seeing there, we had heat maps where we could tell where all the golfers were going. So we created these snow loops for these five city of Toronto golf courses um, to allow winter activity and get people outside and, you know, also have help combat, you know, the spread of COVID. That is amazing. Cause you think about the snow on the golf course and maybe you see a couple walking their, their dog or something like that. I'm curious, how busy does it get? Are folks queuing up? and sledding this way and that? How would you describe the scene maybe when it's its busiest? Yeah, so unofficially, you you know, there were citizens using those courses, uh, you know, Don Valley Golf Course, for example, to do some tobogganing and, and you know, trailing their kids on, on toboggans. Um, but this was more official. And so there were thousands of people last winter using these trails. And so the city of Toronto saw this as a, you know, a, a definitely win situation. And we were really happy to be part of that project. What's been the response from other cities, other golf courses that see what you guys are doing? Yeah, we're trying to get the word out and really appreciate this opportunity. But, I, you, know, I, you know, in talking to the USGA and other golf industry people, we do know that it would be good to, you know, if you can have complimentary um, services running on those properties, that's probably the way of the future. I'm sure you guys are probably aware the state of municipal golf is in a bit of a, um, you know, not urgency, but emergency, but, but there are a lot of influences, city councils either divesting themselves of municipal golf or looking at alternative uses. And, you know, just as you guys know, St. Andrews uses on Sundays, uses uh, the old course, you know, as a dog park. Um, you know, other municipal golf courses across North America are, are starting to adopt things like this, um, you know, having those properties be more than maybe just golf. Craig, you mentioned uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, what are you hearing personally from people that are just thankful to get more time outside who have been cooped up for, for months and in some cases years? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a real good story and people, you know, taking their families, going walks with their loved ones. Um, you know, from that standpoint, I think everybody is very much appreciative of the opportunities that this presents. You know, I, I think we saw a real big influx, influx with golfers. We also saw a lot of influx of outdoor activities. And as you guys know, up here in Canada, we're definitely an outdoor nation. And, uh, you know, people were very thankful, Damon. Craig, here's the hardest obstacle I can only imagine you guys are facing. You have people out on a golf course, maybe people that don't play golf or even care about golf. How do you connect them with golf? How do you get them to come back when the snow melts? Yeah, so we've kicked around some ideas here. We're, we're going to try and get the word out, you know, because there'll be, you know, out of those thousands of people using those trails, uh, a lot of them are probably not golfers. And so if we can get them to come back, one, I, I love the fact that we're getting non-golfers to a golf property, so it helps keep it of mind. Some of the other things that we've kicked around here as a team is maybe a sign with a QR code that takes them to a page that helps them get connected to programs or learn to play programs. 
Um, you know, that is something that we could see or having brochures that we hand out to people who use those trails. Those are things that we'll certainly be talking to the city of Toronto about as the winter hits us here. Well, Craig, love what you're doing, getting people outside, keeping them connected to the game of golf. Happy holidays to you. Thanks so much for your time. Hope to speak to you down the road. Would love to, would love to do that. And you too, guys. Take care. All right, Craig Lockery, Golf Ontario. So 2021's been the year of the Bryson Show, as you know, but what is he up to now? Did you see this latest tweet? Kind of cryptic. Has us wondering, <laughs> what is Bryson talking about? We discussed. December 15th? I mean, Bryson, Bryson talk? Bryson aiming for more pit points. <laughs> Back in a bit. In the spirit of gift giving, let's unwrap 2021. So I guess we're going to be re-gifting now. This is maybe something, a uh, performance you're, you didn't really love all that much. You want to kind of re-gift it, repack it. Are you, are you a re-gifter? No, I don't, I don't re-gift. No. No, do what, what do you do if you get you something you don't it, want? You just take it, you got to put it on the shelf, or you hide it, you put it under a drawer. You <laughs> so know? it just sits, and then you it eventually sits, give it away. And you eventually mm -hmm. throw it away. I, I do, I do yeah. much of the same. Uh, if I was going to re-gift re something yeah. from 2021, to me it'd be the back nine from Rory McIlroy at the U.S. Open. Really the only mm -hmm. major championship. Roy was in the hunt. If you remember, he was tied for the lead yeah. as he made the turn. He makes that bogey at the 11th, the par three. Hit it in the dead center of the green. A lot of people weren't even hitting the green. What? He had a perfect shot at 11, mm. and, he, and he three putts makes bogey there. And then this was at the 12th. This was a hole he birdied each of the first three rounds. He makes a double bogey, was left there off the tee right. As you see, they're plugged in the bunker. It was a bad position, but yeah. Rory was there. And it was a U.S. Open that was totally up for grabs. And it seemed like Rory was one of those players that could go grab it. Of course, John Rahm ended up being the player yeah. that grabbed that title when a lot of players fell apart. But for me, regifting that final round, that final nine hole specifically from Rory at the U.S. Open would be mine. Good one to regift. I'm going Lexi Thompson at the U.S. Open at Olympic Club. I mean, she had a five-shot lead on the front nine. She ends up shooting 41 on the back. And she's been in a good place mentally, was calling her mental coach. You know, a couple times a week and focusing on the good things in her life and, and the blessings. And she had this lead. It looked like it was going to be her time to win a second major. Instead, the, the missed putts, as you see, some missed wedges. And she's trying to smile through the struggle, but it was painful to watch her kind of struggle down the stretch and give that lead away. And I do think there's still greatness in Lexi and great days ahead. I believe she will win again. I believe she'll win major championships again. And I just think that that opportunity, it was there. It was there first. She looked like the player to beat on that Sunday. She played brilliantly on Saturday. It was right there for her, and she just could not quite close the door. You know, there's debate a lot of the time on the most important major championship, but on the women's side, to me, it's always been the U.S. Women's Open, and it yeah. feels like that when you talk to the players. It's got so much history. It's such a hard event to win. It's so demanding. It asks so many questions that may be typical tour events don't yeah. ask and for Lexi to be so close to winning this and to have so many opportunities in her career to this point you know you don't get a lot of shots at this I always yeah. think about the rookie on the NFL team that makes the Super Bowl and they lose and you walk away and you go I'll be back and sometimes yeah. you think, maybe you won't you know there's a chance you might never be back Dan Marino in another Super Bowl you, you know, know and second for, year and for Lexi you know you to have a chance to win this with nine to go and a U.S. Open considering the talent considering how dominant that she can be Tita Green it's just around those greens. I'd love to see her find someone that can mm. make her just putt athletically because she's yeah. such an unbelievable athlete. And you see play, it happens to a lot of players. This isn't Lexi specific, sure. but 
a lot of players get to the green and they just lose a bit of their athleticism. And for Lexi, it'd be so cool to see her putt a little more athletically because she's just so good at everything else. I lose my athleticism on the greens <laughs> as well. And I played hoops. I mean, I, I got to kind of... We all do. MJ apparently is a great putter. Have you heard this as well? Michael can, can roll the rock. MJ can, can putt. I mean, MJ's competitive. Probably, probably spends a, a little bit of, of time on there. All right, so we looked a little bit negatively, yeah. D. Uh, is, is there a stocking stuffer from 2021, mm. something that you would like to gift every golf fan out there again if you could? You know, how about Phil at 50 at Kiowa? The gift of longevity. You know, this was someone who was, let's be honest, trending toward irrelevancy outside of Twitter and Instagram yep. in the fireside chats. And he said, you know what? This is not how I'm going out. I'm going to play 36 holes a day and sometimes 45 and sometimes 54 so I don't lose focus when I'm out on the golf course competing. And I love that he changed his body and his focus and his attitude. I mean, we know he's one of the top 15, 10 players of all time and perhaps climbing up that list the more we look at this incredible career. But to see him find it on that golf course and having seen him play on Thursday and Friday and not once crossing my mind that we'll be seeing that guy on Sunday in the gloaming find a way to win a sixth major championship, that was quite a gift. It was as important to me as 04. I mean, the mm. fact that Phil could kind of check this off and now always carry this. You know, you get compared to other athletes, sure. and other golfers. If you're a Phil Mickelson, or if you're a Tiger Woods, if you're an Ernie Els, if you're a VJ Singh, and now Phil has something about all those players Gosh, that he didn't yeah. have before, and now he carries that. For me, it was Hideki, you know, talking about 04 mm. and the Masters for Phil Mickelson. For me, it was Saturday at Augusta and Hideki. I mean, I, I've, I've gone back and looked at all these shots on the Masters app, and I urge you to do the same. Go to that third round. And watch what happened after the weather delay. Watch that second shot into 11 from the alley. Watch his second into 15, simply perfection. Watch the tee shot on 16 to a flag that nobody takes on. And also, there was some other golf shots. You think about the second shot he hit at 13 from the yeah, second cut. Yeah. That was a great golf shot. He went on to three-putt that for par, or he would have shot 29, being just the third player ever to do that on the second nine at Augusta National. And make sure, if you're watching this, if you're watching the Decky's third round, you cannot sleep on the third shot on 18, because he hit it in the fairway bunker, mm. and he hits it well over the green. It reminded me very much of Jordan Spieth when he went on to win his first green jacket. Gets to the 18th hole on Saturday over the green, and has a really tricky up and in, and he saves par. Hideki's pitch shot there at 18, his yes. third shot, is one of the great shots of the year. So many good stories, and waiting out the rain delay, looking at his phone, his caddy bowing to Augusta National, of course, the ride through uh, Atlanta Airport with the green jacket. Can you hit the shot required? I think that's what it comes down to. And so often, Tiger has been able to do that, whatever the circumstance. And to see him back you know, in the field at the PNC Championship, it's going to be fun to see what kind of shots he tries to pull off. And this is, yes, the gravy part of his career, perhaps. A nice couple of days with his son. But I tell you what, Tiger has given us so many moments. I mean, we could have done a 15-minute highlight, <laughs> a five-hour show on all of the majesty that he's brought to this game. Do you see the mix of magic there? I mean, you think about the mix of yeah. magic on par threes. Par threes are, are short holes. One I mean, they're meant for one swing, right? Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to hit on the green and two putt. That's why it's a par three. There was magic in the iron play. There was magic in the putter. Mm. Long range, short range. There was magic in the wedges in and around the green. I mean, that, again, it, it, we talk about talent. And, and there is talent on the PGA Tour. There is talent on the LPGA Tour. 
but certain players are way better at certain parts of the game than others. And Tiger was able to lean on everything. Mm. He was able to lean on the driver when he needed to rip one, when he needed to pump one down. I go to Valhalla 17th hole a lot. You think about that tee shot in 2000 when he took it over the bunker in the middle of the fairway. Tiger didn't always hit the fairways, but he hit fairways when he really, really needed to. And you think about the iron play and how he could carve the cut and he could draw it into hole locations and the chipping and the putting. He could lean on everything, mm. and he could lean on it at the exact moment he needed it the most, and that is what's so special. We don't understand how people can muster the ability to will the golf ball in the hole. Even players talk about not being able to explain it. Tiger was the best ever at finding a way to calm down in the loudest of moments and pull off the appropriate golf shot. I mean, chess made sense to Bobby Fischer, the <laughs> soccer pitch to Pele, the ice rink to, to Wayne Gretzky. We've got three Rubik's Cubes in our house. One of my boys, Miles, aced that Just thing. rips through The it. other two are, are, are struggling with it a little bit. I mean, you know, why does golf make such sense to Tiger Woods? And I love what he said in his comeback when he was talking at the hero about it. He just cared about his hands. After the accident, how are my hands? Because there's magic in, the, in his hands, in his fingertips, the way the golf club feels in his hands, the way he looks at the game. It's at a different level and a different plane than anybody else. Those TaylorMade videos I've referenced a couple of times, TaylorMade had all kind of their athletes around each other talking about golf shots and just having a microphone open and letting mm. those players just open up to each other about the way they hit golf shots. And to listen to those athletes, some of the best players in the world, major champions, listening to Tiger Woods talk about pitching and chipping of the golf ball and not really even understanding what he means by what he says to me was as good a description of who Tiger Woods is as anything because the way it made sense to Tiger it didn't necessarily make sense to everybody else I mean to me it's Will Hunting lighting the paper on fire yeah. right I mean this is so easy for me now it was never easy for Tiger Woods he would never have said it was easy but again to calm things down and to find ways to pull golf shots off at the moment you have to do it is something that will always impress me about professional athletes because a lot of us, the majority of the world, falls apart in the biggest of moments. That's yeah. when we suffer the most. That's when we struggle the most. And for these players to find a way to just mentally make it simple. This is just a golf shot. This yeah. is just a swing. It's just a putt. It's right edge. Hit it right, right edge and it'll go. I mean, the ball bumping down the hill at Torrey, how will you ever forget that image? <laughs> the best in golf do it. The best in sports do it. And we saw one of the best of all time last night at Madison Square Garden, a big lover of golf himself, of course, Steph Curry, Madison Square Garden, etching his names in the history books. Was it 2,974 and counting, breaking Ray Allen's record. And the Warriors, of course, uh, and just so thankful to have him. You know, he could have gone to a lot of other teams. He was undersized out of Davidson. Record-broken history made. Game changed forever. Congrats, Steph Curry, number 30. Got us kind of thinking about generational athletes. You know, the types of players that you have to turn the television on when they're doing their sport, when they're playing their sport. D, we grew up in different eras. Who is that to you? Who, who are your generational athletes that were drop everything, turn on the TV? Magic and Bird. That's it. That's that, the I list. Mean, it's Magic and Bird. I'd say Dr. J a little bit when I was like seven and eight. Dr. J was my first favorite player because he's elevation and he had these huge hands, the way he could palm a ball. But to me, Magic and Bird, their rivalry, how they changed the game, a six foot nine point guard in Magic, a six foot nine, you know, small slash power forward in Larry Bird, their court vision, how they made everyone around them better elevating their teams, you know. Kevin McHale, a great player in his own right. James Worthy as well. Kareem, of course, one of the all-time greats. But Magic and Bird, they did things that no one at that size had really done 
before. We'd seen Oscar Robertson in the NBA, but he was a little bit smaller. Magic was six foot nine, coming out of Michigan State, spent two years, won a national championship, 1979, beat Larry Bird, who was at Indiana State, and then they would end up mirroring each other for a decade in the National Basketball Association, and they did it differently. They transcended their sport, much like Tiger and Steph Curry to this day. A, a group that Steph's trying to join. I mean, if Steph yeah. wins the NBA MVP this year, it'll be his third, joining Moses, Larry, yes. and Magic as three-time NBA MVPs. My list is a little lengthier. I just okay. kind of threw together the players that have always forced me to drop stuff. I've been a sports fan since I can remember. I've been obsessed okay. with sports, and I've always been one that will kind of avoid something I have to do sure. to watch sports. To me, it's Steph, Tiger, Federer, Serena, mm. Tom Brady we've got to watch throughout the course of his career, LeBron, Crosby, Ovechkin, Shaq, Simone Biles, Phelps. During his Olympic runs, that was must-watch yes. television. Hamilton, Bolt, Kobe, Pedro, Pedro, and Iverson is my Ooh. list. Iverson made the list because, again, I had to turn the TV on when Allen Iverson was playing basketball. It was a must for me. Maybe the best little man uh, to ever play the game. I'll throw a few more at you. I think Joe Montana deserves a seat at the table. Jerry Rice as well. How about the king, Arnold Palmer? When you think about where he took this game and what he meant to the masses and kind of arriving at the onset of golf on television and winning the Masters and kind of the birth of Arnie's army and how he was able to capitalize with what he did on the course to become a generational spokesperson who was known around the world with his rainbow umbrella and just the way he would go after and attack flag sticks, winning and losing in spectacular fashion and transcending the game in a generational type of way. You know, we watch Steph Curry because Steph Curry does stuff on the court that we haven't really seen before. His ability mm. to score and create shots and create space and, and, mm. and pull up from areas that looks like there's no space. It looks yeah. like a guy that's 6'5", is draped on him. Arnie did it differently as well. And Tiger obviously has done it differently, which, which brings up a question. We brought up Bryson early in the show. We laugh a decent amount when we talk about Bryson the Shambo. But is he potentially on a list like this considering what he's able to do off the tee? Is Bryson the type of player that's considering his skill set could be the player on this list in 10 or 15 years because he was the first to really do this. I'm going to use a word that the teachers would do in my homework when I brought it, you know, to school. Incomplete. Okay. I'll say it's incomplete at this point. I do think what he's done so far is change the conversation and force some players on the PGA Tour to look at what they're doing. If Rory McIlroy was chasing speed, as he admitted at the Players' Championship, then you have to think he's not alone. I think we do need to give Bryson credit for changing his body and using different equipment and finding a way to become one of the best players in the world by doing so. Easily could have gone the other way. And I tell you, I talked to Chris Como, and they did put some, you know, kind of some breadcrumbs down to make sure if they were going the wrong way, it wasn't impossible for them to get back. But he's not afraid to put his game under the knife and see what comes out on the other side. And I do think, considering what he's done already in his young career, he deserves at least a look as a potential generational talent. How about you? Yeah, I, mean, I, I just think the respect you get a lot of the time from athlete, from athletes, is what you do to get better. I mean, you look yeah. at Giannis when he came in the league. You look at Durant when he came in the league. You look at LeBron when he came in the mm. league. LeBron wasn't as ripped as he was when he was in the, on sure. those Heat teams when he came into the league. You know, to me, Bryson is somebody that's going to get a lot of respect from athletes around the world because he put in the time yes. to change his body to improve on a part of the game that he saw a hole in. I mean, there yeah. was a time where Bryson was a fine driver of the golf ball, but to, to gain strokes on the field each and every week and to force some of the best of this generation to rethink the way they go about their business, 
To me, that's the type of thing that makes the list, right? Yeah. And I think also a generational athlete has to be feared. Michael Jordan was feared. Yes. Tiger feared. Kobe was feared. Kobe feared, you know. Federer feared and re completely respected. It was like watching a ballet uh, on a tennis court. But I think a lot of those generational talents have that aspect to their personalities. Like you, you see their name on a leaderboard. You see their name, you know, on your schedule. You know, I got a back-to-back -back in L.A. and I got to play Magic on the second night. You know, the fast break of the Lakers was was often like just debilitating to a defense. The the nonstop movement, teams just couldn't keep up. So other teams had to get in better shape. The Laker fast break was, they called it showtime. It was just something to behold how physically gifted and fast these players were. So those were guys that were changing the game. And Bryce, I think, has the potential to change the game as well. well we've seen players following his footsteps already. I mean, think about sure. Dylan Fratelli last year. Yes. I mean, kind of gaining distance and yeah. doing speed training. And then you saw it in his golf game. Mm. You saw him improve, played great at Augusta National in 2020. I mean, this has happened in professional golf. Every single player you know, last winter was messing around with the 48-inch driver right. because Bryson had set that precedent. I mean, this is a possibility for me next year. I already hit it longer than you do. What if I'm able to do it with a 48-inch driver? Of course, Bryson also changing the rules of the sport he mm. plays. I think that's something that's easy to forget as well. Bryson is pushing the USGA to take a look into certain things. You think about the Players' Championship this past year. Yeah. Bryson forced the PGA Tour that's to make right. the whole side of the golf course out of bounds internally because he was thinking about different ways to go about his business. I think you're totally right. First of all, I don't believe that you ever put in an assignment that was incomplete. I know you well <laughs> okay, enough I'm to know you never got the eye on any of your papers <laughs> out there. But for me, I got a decent amount of incompletes. But, you know, for Bryson, it's not complete yet, but we've at least seen him shake up the golf world unlike what? Any player since Tiger? Is that yeah. fair to say? How about Brooks? Is Brooks Kepka watching Golf Channel every once in a while? What's Brooks Kepka thinking of this conversation? A four-time major champ who has been the best player in the game? You know, is he have the potential to be a generational talent? Absolutely. I, okay. I think I think Brooks, again, you talk about incomplete, and it's still there yet. Okay. I mean, he's got four major championships. Quite impressive for this generation. It's going to be very, very hard to win six or seven majors just because it's so talented, yeah. and your window seems to be so small. Mm. You think about Rory McIlroy's window, and that window could be, when we look back on his career, 2014. Yeah. You look at Jordan Spieth's window, and that window could be 2015, 2016. Fair. For Kepka. his window might have been two years ago. But what did Brooks Kepka say at the Hero? Hey. What was 2018? Yeah. Just that's, wait. That's not peak. That was not peak. I mean, Brooks Kepka, if he is watching this show right now, if he's sitting around his house watching golf programming, Brooks Kepka's going, sure, talk about Rice and all you want. Yeah. You know what happens when we face off against each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. He's thinking 10 major championships. And we, or if more. he gets to that number, gets to more. 15 or 18, that would be a generational talent. We'll still come on golf today. We look back at the LPGA Q Series. Players are earning status for the 2022 LPGA season. Allison Corpuz earned her way to the LPGA and joins the show next. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Bushnell Golf and the Pro XC, experience the best. And Geico. You could save even more by bundling home and car insurance. And by Skechers. Be comfortable with Skechers Go Golf Jasmine footwear worn by Brooke Henderson. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. We're back on golf today, and we're going to 
and spend the next few minutes talking about golf. How about that? Do it. LPGA Q Series just wrapped up. 144 pole event played across two weeks. 110 players cut top 70 ties after the first 72 holes and top 45 in ties are in their 2022 LPGA Tour cards, D. All right, man. The recently graduated USC senior Allison Corpuz earned her 2022 LPGA Tour card in her first attempt this past weekend. Reached number one in the Golf Week rankings as a college senior in 2021 with one of 46 golfers to earn status for the 2022 LPGA season. Her bio's interesting. 23 years of age from Honolulu, Hawaii, four LPGA Tour events played since 2016. Competed in the 2020 U.S. Women's Open. Member of the Curtis Cup winning perfect team. Perfect in that I mean, Curtis perfect, Cup. Perfect, right? Two-time All-American at USC. I went to UCLA, but that's okay. We'll welcome in Allison Corpus. It's great to see you. LPGA Q Series, 144 holes of grinding, self-talk, focus. What did you learn about yourself making it through? Um, I learned that I'm tougher than I thought. Um, it was definitely a grind out there, but I learned a lot about my game, learned where my strengths are and where I have a little bit more work to do. Allison, I wanted to compliment your Instagram profile for a moment. It reads, always a good day to have, always a good day to have a good day. We're all working on our mental health, trying to be our best selves. Is that kind of your mantra you live by on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I was inspired by something that I saw a couple months ago that was basically saying like, you know, even if you have a bad morning, you can still have a good day. You can still go out and do something to make the day better. So just always trying to take that mindset into every day and look at everything as a positive. Love that mantra, fantastic way to live life. Now I went to UCLA, as I mentioned, but you went to USC. I'll give you a moment to brag about your college. <laughs> How did competing at USC prepare you for the big leagues? It was awesome. Um, I mean, great facilities, great people. Really enjoyed my time on the team and just learned a lot more about course management. Got to play a ton of great courses and meet a ton of great people as well. So I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Allison, what was your biggest uh, L.A. moment? Being in L.A., being at USC, did you run into a celebrity at a coffee shop? What was your big L.A. moment? Uh, we met Will, uh, Will Ferrell at Wilshire Country Club one morning. <laughs> That's that was this is pretty good. I like that. What was All he right. Like? Did you talk to him? Did yeah. You, what, what was the interaction like? Jokes? Um, just a quick picture with the team. We were having a team meeting uh, by the snack shop, and he was stopping by to grab some food. So yeah, we just took a picture with him, and then I think he spoke at commencement a couple months later. So it was really cool to see him do that. All right. Were you more nervous playing Augusta National for the first time in the Augusta National Women's Amateur or playing in the U.S. Women's Amateur Pub Links as a, and let me check this fact, a 10-year-old? Um, I think they're both pretty comparable. When I was 10, it was kind of just showing up to the course. And, you know, my first USGA experience was so awesome. And then going to Augusta, there was just so many people out there, and it was so amazing to see the support for women's golf. Um, both are pretty comparable in terms of nerves, I think. Well, Allison, on that note, you actually surpassed Michelle Wee as the youngest qualifier in the women's amateur publics. How much did you know about young phenoms like Michelle and Tad Fujikawa from Hawaii growing up in the game? They're both a little older than me, um, so I never really got to know either of them too well. But Michelle actually sponsors our state association's Tournament of Champions. So I got to meet her a couple of times through that. And she's awesome. She's just done so much to grow the women's game, especially in Hawaii. 
Um, and Tad as well has done so much just to bring attention to Hawaii golf, which has been awesome. All right, I want to go back to the top of this interview. You said you know made it through the grind. You learned how tough you are, but also some things to work on. So as you look ahead to 2022, you know what are you working on with your game to hit the ground running? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you guys were just talking about distance, and I think that's increasingly becoming way more important for the game just as courses get longer and tougher. Um, but really trying to get more consistent overall through my game, and there's always more work to do on the short game. So hoping to work on that before the next season starts. Allison, do you want to trash talk Damon at all? Do you want to say anything bad about UCLA or Damon in general? <laughs> I mean, if you want to, this is your opportunity. No, I, I love the UCLA team. They're all so sweet. Um, obviously, I think USC is a better school, but... Okay. Um, She's a nice, a nice soul. That's about as much trash talk as we're going to get. The interview is going great into that very last <laughs> sentence, but uh, she's still a sweetheart, and I'm not going to talk any trash. Well, we appreciate the time. Congrats on the Q series. Looking forward to watching you in 2022. Thank you. All right, coming up All next, right. we flash back to one of the tournaments that we actually remember. Speaking of from 2021, UCLA, Patty Ice. Allison, right I'm sorry. Cue. I'm sorry. This is on the back end of your interview. Right on cue. How about that? in the pants and your sweater. This is ridiculous. UCLA is taking over golf today. Alternative Golf Week rolls on on Golf Today. How about Five Iron Golf, founded in 2015, has simulators, trackman lesson studios, access to teaching professionals, practice time, leagues, club storage, and an in-house club fitting service as well. The company has now expanded into New York City, Chicago, Baltimore, Vegas, baby, Vegas, Philly, Pittsburgh, and our nation's capital. And Jared Solomon, the CEO and co-founder of Five Iron Golf, joins us now. Jared, what sparked the idea for Five Iron Golf? What was your aha moment? Yeah, so I didn't grow up playing golf, which I think is unique in this world. I, uh, I played tennis and some other sports, but I was in New York City looking for some things to do, and I was just Googling around and, and found some golf lessons. I... I went into the back of a men's clothing store on this simulator and took a lesson with Mike Doyle, uh, who's a co-founder of Five Iron, fell in love with the technology and the data and improving your game and, and really fell in love with golf through a, through a simulator experience. And that, that was sort of from there, you know, one thing led to another and all of a sudden you're starting, you know, a, a company together. Well, simulators are all the rage and they're a big part of Five Iron Golf. What kinds of venues and games are the folks able to play? Yeah, I mean, you guys you know a lot about this, but they're, they're really for everyone. So if you're a serious golfer that wants to come in, practice, work on your game, use like a driving range setting, club fitting, things like that. And then there's all the entertainment side of things, the golf courses, the games that you can play where you're just blowing things up and breaking things and, and things like that. It's really, I think, what makes the simulator special, especially the five iron experience, is you can do all of those things. If you're someone that wants to you know, lower your handicap and, and really treat it like a, a gym or a game improvement type spot. You can do that. And then if you're someone that just wants to come on Friday night and bang some balls or pick up a club for the first time, it's accessible and fun. And there's there's plenty to do on the simulator. Blowing things up and breaking things. My kids love it already. I read where you were a poker player back in the day and a stock trader. How much of a risk was it bringing this concept to life and seeing it through? Yeah, you know, when we, when we did it, we had the idea, my wife and I and Mike and nor the other co-founder. We, we started looking for investors and trying to de-risk a little bit, but no one was really that interested in this golf bar simulator concept that we were throwing around where you could 
you know, practice, but also a place that would be fun and have events and things like that. So at the end of the day, we, we kind of just did it ourselves. But I would say the big risk, which maybe we didn't even know at the time since we didn't, um, or I didn't at least grow up in, in the golf world, was the, the graffiti that you see behind me and, this, and the neon signs and the music being on and all of that stuff. And the risk there was that are we going to alienate the serious golfer and the people that are members of country clubs and, and want to take lessons and things like that. And I think, you know, we've learned that, that we're, we're going to be OK. The, the serious golfer, if the technology is good and the golf pros are good and the club fitting experience is good, is going to show up. And um, that that music, casual graffiti atmosphere is really going to get the casual person that might never, never play golf before is just looking for something to do. Jared, what is that percentage of people coming in that are true golfers, that are hardcore golfers versus people that are coming in that don't really play a lot of golf at all? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's roughly 50-50. I think one thing that I like to talk about is just changing the perception of, of what golf is. If I was like, hey, guys, you want to play ping pong tonight or go axe throwing or bowling, you would never say I'm not, I'm not a bowler. I don't play ping pong. Where with golf, there's this connotation of, well, I'm not a golfer, and that's not something I would do. And I think a place like Five Iron or Top Golf, part of what we're trying to do is tell the story that this is just a place to have fun. Like you're gonna hit a you're gonna hit a couple golf balls and you're gonna enjoy it, and it's it's something that you can do even if you don't consider yourself sort of a golfer. So, you know, to answer your question, I'd say 50% of the people coming in, the people in the mornings at 6 a.m. grinding on their game, showering, going to work, and then as the night goes on, you're getting more of the the entertainment type feel, the bachelor parties, the corporate events, and things like that. But at the same time. I think what makes Five Iron special is sort of building building that ecosystem. Like, I hope that you come in at 6 a.m. and you're serious, and all of a sudden you say, like, hey, friends, come on the weekend and let's let's do this Five Iron thing. Um, at the same time, maybe you come for a corporate event or a bachelor party or something like that, and you don't consider yourself a golfer, but you're, you're like, man, this is fun, and then you want to take a golf lesson, and all of a sudden – I might see you there practicing in the morning. So it's it's really about creating that ecosystem and catering to everyone and, and make sure everyone has a good experience at Five Iron. Do you view yourself and your company as part of the larger push to grow the game of golf? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think, you know, I'm, I'm that story, right? I, I grew up not playing golf, found it on a simulator, and then all of a sudden, you know, I joined a country club and I'm taking lessons and I'm a consumer of the, the golf industry and supporting it. And we see that story so many times in our city uh, where people learn pick up a club for the first time at five iron and then they're going to need to buy a set of golf clubs and they're, you know, some percentage are going to join clubs or play outdoors and uh, get involved in that. So I certainly think that we're growing the game. It's super important to what we're doing uh, here at five iron in terms of making it just more accessible to, to, to everyone. We have locations in New York city, not far from us here in Connecticut, Vegas, Chicago. What are the next steps for five iron golf in your mind? Yeah, there are a few more on that list. We actually uh, just opened in Singapore a couple months ago, uh, our second Chicago location, Seattle, Boston coming up as well. Look, we've just taken it day, day by day from the beginning where we're trying to solve the next problem and just just you know make sure that the customers are happy. And if people are happy, we're going to keep keep on going. We uh, on, on bigger picture, we just uh, announced a partnership with Callaway, which is exciting. So leveraging their experience and, and we really think of them as the perfect partner. They've obviously done a great job with Callaway on, on the golf side of things and sort of catering to that serious golfer that we always talk about. And then on the entertainment side of things was Top Golf. They obviously have done a great job job there as well. So we see a lot of synergies there and just learning from them and, and keep building locations and, and trying to make the product better.
Jared, these businesses are massively important for golf, not just in 2021, but in the future. We appreciate what you're doing, and we appreciate you taking the time with us this morning. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.